Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Tando Makunga is the Managing Director at Sheer Music Publishing, and she's in studio today to chat to us a little bit about why it matters that your songs are registered and many other things to do with publishing. Many other things. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat to you. You've got a beautiful voice, by the way. Think about radio. <laughs> um, Thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm excited to be here. I think, I mean, we were chatting just before about how important it is for us as publishers to share information and knowledge, because I think that's the biggest challenge that we see. Um, whether it's a new entrant into the market or somebody who's just starting up or somebody that's been in the industry for a long time, they don't really understand what publishing means and why it's so important. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really, you know, uh, optimistic that we're able to get through some of the, the most important things um, for your audience to know. Yeah, I'm excited. But I want to start a few steps back with you. Okay. And how you found yourself in the music game. Okay. So I originally studied um, Bachelor of Commerce. Mm-hmm. So I'm originally from Durban. So that was my trajectory is like finance. That's what I studied. Um, and I eventually did a very, very brief stint at Deloitte uh, with the accountants. And mm-hmm. I was I literally stuck out like a sore thumb. And while I was sort of oscillating between like, what am I actually going to do? I'm found a passion for broadcasting. So I went into radio at a station called East Coast Radio in Durban. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that sort of trying to be a presenter, which I failed dismally at, um, I also grew an interest in programming and music programming in particular. So in music programming, you do end up engaging with a lot of artists and creators, you know, through events. You know, one of the things, and I think it's life is funny like that. One of my big tasks that I used to do when I was in, in, in music programming was putting together the um, information on the songs that we played on the radio. And one of those things includes the publishing. So who's the composer, who is the writer, who is the singer. And back in the day, that I'm showing you my age now, but it literally used to be a physical CD. Yeah. So you'd be able to see who recorded it, who's distributing it, who owns it. And you also start to understand there are a lot of some of these massive, massive artists that don't write. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yep. So they they're already from the onset. You might have a massive you know, song on the radio, but the money where once even at that start where you're hearing it on the radio, you're you're not even part of the revenue pool because you're not a writer or you're not registered as a writer. At the same time, I think, I mean, I ended up doing a very long, uh, you know, career in broadcasting, prime media, Kafiso media, different radio stations, which I won't dwell on. But in that, I was also part of the team that was responsible for reporting a lot of uh, how we use music as broadcasters. So that mm-hmm. includes engaging with organizations like Samro for our licenses, broadcasters, organizations like Sampra, which does uh, Needle Time. So we'd actually engage with them in a, in a number of ways. And last year, I sort of did the, the jump from broadcasting into the publishing space. Okay. So it was interesting for me, like, as I'm looking, I was thinking about this the other day, I was like, geez, I actually started being the person inputting that information and having a sense right from the beginning mm. that actually 
J-Lo didn't write that song. <laughs> it was Ashanti. It yeah. was, the most people don't know that. That's the person who's making the money. And that's the person who, in 2023, when there is a sync license or J-Lo's performing at the Super Bowl, that is still going to make money yeah. from a song that she wrote, you know, when she, in, in 2001 or whatever the case might be. So it's a very interesting trail in which you can start to see how the money flows. And it's about ownership, um, ultimately. That's what, what publishing, I always say, is publishing is about ownership. And I think as creators, one of the things that, yes, you can be in a creative space, sharing with your colleagues and your friends and, you know, we're just vibing or whatever the case <laughs> might be, that's important. But ultimately, the paperwork and the ownership is where the money conversation starts. Mm -hmm. And the money conversation is is. I find sometimes uncomfortable for certain creators to have. Yes. Um, they don't want to think about it. They literally will fob you off on a manager or on a lawyer when you're start starting to say, hey, we're actually seeing, because we have access to all of this information, we're seeing that you're generating a lot of revenue on a song that you co-wrote or has been sampled. Are you even aware of this? Oh, I speak to my manager. You know, so I think there's there's a lot of work to be done in the creative community just around being comfortable around owning things, managing the things that you own. And yes, of course, focus on the creative side because that's what you do. And hopefully also engaging with a publisher that can have honest conversations with you about what is happening with your money. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's basically Tando. Tando has been in the broadcasting media music space for some time. I'm really passionate about South African and African music in particular. Um, I mean, last year, I think I probably did like six different African countries. And every single time, I was just always amazed at some of the music that has been created. But also, I think, frustrated by some of the systems that are not in place to protect creators. Yeah. Um, and for us even to be able to help the creator monetize the work that they've created. So, um, yeah, so that's that's Tando in a nutshell. Okay, so we're going to come back to how the money flows because I yeah. think that really matters and yeah. the practicalities and the administration side of it. Correct. What is music publishing? <laughs> okay, music publishing is basically a way in which you can claim ownership of mm. work that you've created as a creator. Mm. So what we do as publishers is administer your work. So all of the songs that you've written, songs that you've sampled, songs that somebody has used in a movie, in a TV show, in a advertising, we trace and track any usage of the work that you've created. The first step is to own the work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the first step. And own it in a way that is clear for everyone involved in that project. So a simple example is you're in the studio, somebody produced the song, somebody um, wrote the song, somebody contributed to a melody, somebody performed the song. There's something called a split sheet, which would um, allocate exactly what percentage and what portion of work was contributed by which person. Mm -hmm. And that can get a bit complicated as well in terms of that discussion, but it, it starts there. So once you've got the ownership claimed and the copyright claimed, which is effectively what you're doing, as well as the percentage, mm -hmm. what we as publishers do is just make sure that from a usage point of view, exactly like I said, any user, so it's radio, it's streaming, it's film and television, it's anywhere that that song is utilized, that 20% that you contributed, you're getting paid for your contribution to that song. So it obviously it gets quite complicated because it changes according to territory. So where the music is being used and consumed, what you can collect in South Africa is very different from what you can collect in, say, 
Nigeria, mm. <laughs> right? We work very, very closely with two collecting societies in particular that manage a lot of these rights management um, for artists, which is SAMRO in South Africa, as well as Capasso. Capasso mm-hmm. primarily uh, manages mechanical rights, and then SAMRO does all your, all your performance rights, so including live performances and things like that. So the other thing that I think is very, very important now for creators to know about publishing is that your music needs to work for you, mm. right? So we spend a lot of time as Shia, in particular, trying to find opportunities for um, licensing. So particularly film, TV, advertising, because what we're seeing is that, yes, usage is there and thereabouts. The money on streaming is actually quite, what's the word, minimal. Mm-hmm. So you might have a million views on a sound on TikTok. Mm. And it actually, yes, it's great for maybe bringing awareness to the song, yeah. but the actual money that you might get out of it is is not that large, it's not that high. Mm. So, and this is a big part of, I think, the digital shift that has happened prior, previously when you had physical CD sales, I think artists were making a lot more money from that. But the streaming age has brought about, I think, quite a significant shift. So you have to make the music work for you. Mm. And that's what we do. We work with a lot of brands. We work with a lot of distributors like DSPs, like uh, Netflix, Showmax, MultiChoice, all of these players, uh, Amazon Prime, pretty much any anyone that's use, using music. Mm. We try to find opportunities for your work to be placed in those songs because you can get like significant amount of money. So particularly if it's a big song, right? And mm. all songs are not created equal. That's the other thing. <laughs> so we find that some some creators expect that my entire 10 album, you know, work uh, of music that I've created in my career is going to generate the same amount of music. You might find that it's literally that one song that you have a 20% share on that is making all of the money for you throughout your career. And we do try to explain to them that that's what we're going to focus on because it's the thing that we're going to pitch. It's the thing that is familiar. It's the thing that is still getting airplay. It's the thing that is, from a publishing point of view, far more valuable than maybe working, you know, all of your 90 songs that you've written throughout your career. So, Mm. but again, back to my original point, it starts with making sure that we, as your publisher, know what you've created. We know what you own and what you don't own. Um, we also do a lot of work uh, recently, um, unfortunately, just on managing copyright infringements. So we see a lot of people don't understand the fact that just because I can um, sample something, it means that, you know, it's available for me to sample and I can just use it willy nilly without, mm. you know, uh, speaking to the copyright owner. So we do manage quite a few infringements. Unfortunately, a lot of those are actually of deceased states, you know, mm. so we see that quite a bit, which I find Beyond being just inhumane mm. and just rude, <laughs> yeah. we see people taking advantage of the fact that, you know, maybe this song is from 20 years ago and I'm just going to sample the melody and go on about my life. Um, so that's one of the things that we as publishers also have to do is just protect your copyright as, an, as, a, as a creator. Again, the relationship between the creator and the, and the publisher becomes so important because we need to know what you've worked on. Uh, where do you think it's playing? Are you aware of a project that you've done that they haven't credited you correctly on? And we'll do the legwork in terms of making sure that you get paid correctly. And that is something that we manage globally. Mm-hmm. We're part of a, a company called Downtown Music Publishing. 
as I said, each territory is different. They have different rules. France, for example, has very different rules around copyright and artist management. The U.S. has different rules, different amounts of money that gets paid. Asia has its own, you know, um, different market and different ways of working. So, yeah, we work with um, our team in downtown as well as with all of the CMOs across the globe just to make sure we literally are the little rats that chase the cheese all across the continent and across the globe to make sure that anything that is used uh, that belongs to our client, that they're remunerated correctly for it. And now if someone doesn't have a publishing deal mm-hmm. and they get offered a sync, yep. can they approach you and say, I've been offered this, can you work on this track with me? Yeah. So we do do sync only um, agreements mm-hmm. or it's called a deed of assignment. It could be just for one project. Yeah. So let's say, for example, you get a uh, request from a client to score a TV ad or something like that, and they just want to use that particular piece piece of music, you can uh, agree to a deed of assignment, Mm. which is just for that particular piece of work. uh, And we can assist you with uh, licensing that and making sure that you get paid correctly. I think it also is good to have a publisher just because we're aware in terms of market rates, Mm. what's fair and what's not fair. The other thing that we've picked up where clients go directly to a creator to get a sync is they do take advantage of the fact that you, nine times out of ten, you're just happy that somebody wants to pay you money. Yes. Right? And they take advantage of that. They take ownership on in perpetuity. Yeah. Uh, they, might, they might ask you to sign over all of your publishing rights, which we see not even with just new creators, with some of our, some of our very established artists, and we have to intervene and say, you know, yes, it's a massive international, you know, distributor or whatever the case might be, but this is literally going to be lost to you in perpetuity because it's something that's going to be on their platform forever, mm. literally forever. So a hundred years from now, if they decide they want to rework that movie and include your music as the signature tune, you know, you're losing out, your family is losing out, your estate is losing out, you know, so very, very important. I think I would, I mean, I understand that some people want to control their own publishing, mm. but I think where we're at uh, and just the ways in which people take advantage of creators, and I'll put it bluntly like that, yeah. they are quite deliberate about it. Uh, they'll pressure you with a big check, a once-off payment of $100,000 or whatever the amount might be. And the reason they're giving you $100,000 is because the actual value of the thing is probably a million. Yeah. Over the life of, you know, how long you're going to be utilizing that music. So... I really would encourage people to either get a very good lawyer, so somebody that can advise you on those contracts, and then alternatively your publisher will be able to advise you as well in terms of this is a fair deal, these things you don't want to sign over to to this particular organization or to, it could be a brand, it could mm. be, it doesn't necessarily have to be a distributor like a, a Netflix or any any of those, but um, yeah, I would advise um, you to rather utilize publisher services, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it is possible to do on a per project, per song basis. Okay. So now if someone wanted to maintain their rights, their own rights, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some of the administration type things that a publisher would do that an indie would then have to do for themselves as a first step? Yeah. Register their songs with Samro. Because if you're signed to a publisher, your publisher would do that, right? So you can register your songs directly with Samro and mm-hmm. they would always, even if you're signed with a publisher, still pay you your composer share. Yeah. But to manage your publisher share, your publisher obviously would be able to manage it. But if you are self-published, you would still get your publisher share. So yes, the first step is to register with a Samro and mm-hmm. to register with a Capasso as well mm-hmm. for mechanical rights. 
However, I think, and it's different across the continent, what we're seeing is in as much as Samra has its challenges, which I think most of us are aware of, they aren't able to collect as much you know, outside of this this country. So yeah. there's some real challenges there, um, you know, which which we're always, you know, bringing to their attention. So I think there's an element of risk, if I could call it that, yeah. um, if you don't have your publisher fighting for you, um, following up, um, they deal with hundreds and thousands of clients all the time. They do have a quite a functional portal, which I think most people can utilize. Mm. And then there are other ways in which you can also find DIY self-publishing platforms, which okay. I think some, some um, you know, independent artists prefer to use as well. But again, you need to have the time, energy and effort, you know, to sit through, make sure that things are, are notified correctly. I mean, this morning we were actually just chatting about one of our clients in Nigeria who was struggling with receiving revenue outside of Nigeria just mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that when he originally notified the works, they weren't notified correctly, right? Oh, so everything ends up being in limbo and in dispute for years and years because mm-hmm. nobody's picking up the fact that these territories manage their rights in a slightly different way and you need to be speaking to that CMO in, say, Germany or France. There's money sitting there, but they can't collect it because the way in which it was notified isn't correct. So mm. the IP chain isn't correct. The splits are not correct. Um, so it can get quite complex. Yeah. Um, and this is the reason that we always recommend that you rather work with the publisher. Okay. So now streaming. Yes. I mean, it's complex and you make the uh, 0.001 cent or whatever it is from every stream which can feel like crazy Mm. Um, and that's as an artist what about how does a songwriter Mm. who wrote the song let's say make any money in a streaming situation so they would still make some money but as you say because it's it's split between the producer the songwriter the performer etc etc it's Percentage of a percentage, right? Mm. And it's normally single digit percentages. Yeah. Unless, again, back to my earlier point around why licensing is so important, mm. you need to be able to take advantage of, let's say you've got a viral hit on TikTok. Mm. So what are we doing with that? Are we placing it in a movie? Are we placing it in an ad? Because that's where the real money is going to yeah. come. Um, because the streaming revenue in comparison to what it used to be mm. is not going to be the vast majority of how you make your money. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So now what are some of the questions that you most get asked by young musicians and indie artists who who want to get into publishing or to have you come on board as a publisher mm. but are confused? So I, <laughs> I think the main thing that we pick up is that people don't really understand what they own and what they don't own, mm. right? So and and how it splits. So for example, you might have an agreement with a distributor like a TuneCore CD Baby or somebody like that. And as an independent, you think that means my publishing is sorted out. Mm. That means your master rights are assigned to that particular distributor, but you still haven't taken care of your actual publishing. Yes. So (laughs) you need to register a company that, you know, that you sign to or you, you you know, I mean, there are different ways in which you can manage your publishing and that you need to to manage slightly separately because there are two sides to the coin. There's Mm -hmm. the publishing and there's also the master rights. So I think that's the one thing that I feel like young creators in particular think, well, I'm on Apple and Mm -hmm. I did it through CD Baby or I did it through... Tunecore, I yeah. did it through whichever distributor I'm sorted. You know, the money that you're getting is probably only 50% of what you should be getting because you're not getting both sides. Totally. So how do you do that? 
you get a publisher. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I mean, you can get a, you can sign with a publisher or you can sign with, uh, there are, there are a couple of song, uh, self-publishing tools like Song Trust is another one that you could utilize depending on your level of activity. Mm. And they will take you through, like, and from a publishing point of view, there, there's a lot of information and data that we require. So the split sheets, your CIPC documents, you know, there's quite a lot of paperwork involved yeah. in the publishing side. Uh, it's not just about seeing your song on Apple Music, you know, on a, on a playlist. Um, and yeah, then we start to work, work that, that catalog and make sure that it's notified correctly with all of the right CMOs. Mm -hmm. And then we start to collect the money. It's a long game. I always say this publishing, it's a long play, right? Mm -hmm. So don't expect to necessarily get the revenue uh, at the same pace as which you might get the sales income. Mm -hmm. Um, but at least you're covered on both sides. Uh, by the time you get to year two, you're starting to see consistency in terms of, you know, the royalties from, all of the different streaming platforms, radio, broadcast, TV, all of those types of things, yeah. You mentioned about global PROs. We've got Samro here, and mm-hmm. if somebody needed, if okay, so we've got st- stuff st- streaming, particularly, let's say, on online radio stations. Okay. In France, mm. let's say. Mm. If you don't have a publisher collecting those rights, how do you even get those royalties? So I mean, you need to know yourself as an mm. artist. So say, for example, you can see that you've got a lot of activity in Germany. Mm. And I'll use Germany as an example because GEMA, which is the um, CMO in Germany, is, is a very difficult one to to manage, even mm. as publishers. <laughs> we struggle, you know. So there's nothing prohibiting you from registering with those international CMOs. If you think it's, you know, I make, I don't know, Dutch rock music and mm. I'm big in Belgium and Holland and, and, and Amsterdam and I think I should be registered here because that's where the most of my activity comes from okay. so you can register directly with um, with those uh, PROs but if you're registered with Samro you should be able to collect on that revenue anyway okay. because that's one of the things that re- uh, Samro and Capasa do is to collect revenue internationally Okay, so one of the things I was talking to someone else the other day about was live performance forms that yes. we should be submitting anyway yes. to Samro. Yes. How does that work in terms of, let's say we do a show at a big festival. Yeah. Would you get more money from a live performance form submitted for 10 tracks played at a festival versus that played at a tiny little pub who pays their Samro yearly fee? Yes, so you would get paid more, particularly if it's a large venue with, and also you've performed a lot of songs. Mm. So let's say your set was an hour at a 20,000 capacity venue. Mm. It's definitely more than um, the song being played, say, at a bar. Okay. Yeah, so it's a different licensing structure. And a lot of the time, who pays that usage is the event organizer. So that's why they need that. Um, they need that information from you in terms of your set list, you know, the, the normal information mm. that you'd fill out. But yes, uh, Samurai does collect on that mm-hmm. and they do pay on it. Okay. And do they pay publishing? It's called performance revenue. Okay. Yeah. So they would pay your composer share. Mm. And if you're not signed with a publisher, they would also pay you directly if you're the publisher okay. for that music. Yeah. Okay. So very important, I think, just to remind creators around keeping track of those set lists that they do where they've performed. If you are with the publisher, send it through to your publisher. We'll follow up on it as well. Okay. Alternatively, doing it yourself, you can do that on uh, the Samurai portal. Okay. So why mm-hmm. should an artist get a publisher? I think it's important to have a publisher because 
to my earlier point around what we realize with a lot of creatives is it's not the part of the music business that they're necessarily very comfortable with. Mm -hmm. It can get quite complex. Even as publishers, we see things new things every single year. Every time we're doing distribution or royalty runs, like, okay, we've never seen this particular query before. Mm. How do we resolve it? And we have to have conversations with the CMOs around particular clients. So the one reason I would say is if you're focused on being a creator, that's your strength. That's what you should be focused on. Mm -hmm. Your publisher does a lot of the legwork and the, the sort of boring paperwork for you to make sure that from a money perspective, registrations, chasing up with their queries, infringements on your work, uh, finding opportunities for you for, from a licensing point of view, not just in South Africa, but just internationally, the publisher can then take care of that side of things. So mm. that's the reason why I would say, and I don't expect every artist to have the time or even the, what's the word? Inclination. Um, inclination to care about split sheets and notifications because it's it's tedious work and it's time consuming and you need to be creating right so a lot of the time if an artist is say for example an independent artist and they've got a manager that can do that side of things for them fantastic because then you're on top of everything that you're doing so you're on top of you know i did a sample here or i contributed a feature to that particular project and somebody's taking care of that paperwork fantastic Mm. but what i've realized is a lot of artists don't have the type of team that supports the full 360 of what they do. So whether it's merchandising, marketing, staying on top of the publishing, staying on top of all of your compositions that you've done, yeah, a kind of forced to the wayside because we're chasing bookings and mm-hmm. gigs, <laughs> right? Yep. And like I said earlier, there's short-term money and then there's your long-term money. Mm. When you're an active artist and you can do all of the gigs and traveling and got a big hit and you're getting all of the bookings, amazing. Take advantage of that. Yeah. But you still need to be thinking about a parallel process which says 20 years from now and I'm no longer an active artist and I had a big hit that radio was playing to death in 1994. Mm. I'm still getting that revenue and I don't have to physically be anywhere because I'm now like 45 or whatever the case might be. And the bookings are not quite coming through at the same rate. So I think it's important to have a a plan for both. So when I'm an active artist, I'm getting all the bookings. I'm on the covers of the magazine trending list and I'm hot right now. But then what happens in the future? God forbid something happens to you as well. I think the other thing that we're seeing, and we're actually talking about it last week in the office, we've seen a couple of very prominent um, deaths of, Mm. you know, artists in their prime. And I'm hoping that it also brings to mind to the creative community how important it is to have ownership of your work because that's the legacy that you leave behind for your children, for your family, for yourself as a creator. Because, um, I mean, we... Um, last year went through a very similar process with Ricky Rick, who's one of our clients, top performing clients, just all around, and went through a process of now seeing a lot of people taking advantage of the fact that he passed away, sampling his work, sampling mm-hmm. his voice. And unfortunately, I feel like 90% of the stuff that we do now for Ricky Rick is around copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. And that's us having to step in because at least he has us and his estate has us to defend him, you know, beyond his active career. So very, very important, I think, from a estate management point of view to also make sure that your publisher knows what belongs to who and can maintain that for you. It's an asset, you know, it's an asset for your children. It's an asset for your family that they can monetize if they decide to sell the rights to that music. 
that's completely up to them, which we have done for some of our clients that have passed away. Um, but yeah, it will always keep generating money for you while you're an active artist and also when you've passed away. So that's, I think, one of the other things that I think is important is the thing that you're building now mm. is an asset class. Like that's yeah. the only way that I can describe it. It's a, it's a property. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's property that you own, just like you would own your house and your car and things like this. Mm. Um, and it needs to be protected and managed by people that understand the nuances of publishing. So I think that's the other thing. It's a little bit on the more morbid side, but a very real thing. It, we've also seen really beautiful stories of songs from like, say, the 90s that, that just come back to life and are suddenly popular again. Mm. One of our top performing licensing songs is actually a Mendoza song called 5050, yeah. which is sampled by Checkers. So that song was released in 1994, whatever the case might be, getting new life for his wife and his children. And still today, this this year, I think that campaign is still on air. And it goes directly to the people that he cared about that he yeah. was working so hard for when he was alive. So really, really important to have somebody that understands your business as a creator, understands what you own and will protect it for you while you're an active artist and, and also when you're no longer active as an artist. I mean, it's so interesting because it does answer a question that I had. A friend and I were chatting and he said that he heard that Sheer had a, a acquired Neil Solomon's catalog. Yeah. And he said he was very confused. Neil Solomon is amazing. His yes. catalog is amazing. Yeah. He was confused because he thought that there was no future in music and in making <laughs> no. money no. through music. So he, he wanted to know why Shia would acquire an artist's full catalog yeah. in these days, you know. Oh, my goodness. There's so many examples of it. I wish we could acquire more, actually. Yeah. There's so many examples of this happening even internationally. So mm. remember I was saying to you, Effectively, copyright mm. is an asset, yeah. right? And in sort of the financial circles internationally, they basically take a bet, if you could call it that, mm. to say the Dr. Dre catalog in 2023, 2023 is worth $100 million. We think in 30 years from now, because the music is going to be it's nostalgic, it's these big hits, still Dre on all of these songs that he's created, um, that's going to represent an era of music and will be worth 30 times more. So you purchase the catalog today yeah. with the idea that in 30 years from now, it's going to be worth a lot more. And we've okay. seen examples of this so many times. I think about some of the songs that came out in the 90s, particularly the R&B era, mm. which are being sampled I can't think of one off the top of my head right now, but which are being sampled and suddenly what was not that big of a hit in 1994 is suddenly got new life because somebody sampled it. Mm -hmm. A good example is the Mariah Carey song. It was a Mariah Carey song that was sampled by, um, who's the artist? It's a rapper. Mm. I think it was like a top five billboard hit last year. So Mariah, of course, writes everything, uh, does all of her arrangement, I think, and I believe she owns all of her um all of her publishing and, and composition work as well. Yeah. So something that she did in 1994 in 30 minutes for like a whatever is still making money for her now. So yeah. if I had bought that catalog in 1994, it's worth a lot more now in 2023 mm. totally. because of the work that it's done over the last, say, 20, 30 years. So there are so many examples of not just publishers, music companies, literal hedge fund companies, 
buying music catalogs because it's a bet that you're making that the value of this asset is going to appreciate over the next 10, 20 years. So they're paying you now, which I always find surprising as to who's selling their catalogs. Justin yeah. Bieber sold his catalog. Like I said, Dr. Dre just recently sold his catalog. Justin Timberlake sold his catalog for like a hundred million. There is value in music. Hmm. And once you get the financiers involved in something, trust me, there's value in, in music and music catalog. And that's why the more you own, the better. And the more you as a creator own, the better for you. So you have to believe in someone before you either buy the catalog or sign them. So what about an indie artist who makes niche music that's never going to be played on the radio because we are realistic about those sort of things? How would they get signed to a publisher or how would they go about looking for a publisher who wants to sign them? The interesting thing about that is there. Every publisher understands that the the music game is not just about the songs on the radio. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. We were in Kenya um, last year, and there was a particular creator that was very focused on making African children's music. Mm. Right? So who uses African children's music? YouTube creators, TV creators, film creators. That's his niche. Mm -hmm. Is it playing on the radio? No, it's not playing on the radio. But there's value in that particular catalog because it serves a particular function. The other one would be gaming music. You create music specifically to be used in games. So if you as a creator can find your niche, Mm. you will find an audience and you will find a music user who will pay for that. It's just maybe us as your publisher possibly guiding you in terms of these are the wide range of things that you're doing. Maybe the pop space is not for you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you're a creator, you know, use your talents, you know, to find a niche for yourself. I mean, just back to the Neil Solomon. So Neil Solomon is a commercial artist, obviously, but he also does, I think the vast majority of his work is actually the production music, which is what we were very, very excited about working Mm. with him on. And again, with him, it's TV, it's film, it's South African. You know, we're pitching him to to clients all across the globe just Mm. because of the caliber of talent that he has and the caliber of work that he's created. And it'll find an opportunity, it'll find a space, you know, in different spaces across the globe. So I think that's the other thing is don't um, limit yourself. Yes, you might not be successful as a commercial artist, but there are ways in which you can do that. Um, One of our sort of partner companies in the U.S. signs very specific creators who make music that sounds like it could work on an say an H&M ad mm, so I remember him when he was sharing the songs with me I was like yeah this sounds like something I would see on like a perfume ad or I'd hear it in 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 a Zara or something like that and that's all they do yeah they've made a career out of making music that works for retail okay and it's not commercially successful but it works for that particular niche so as a creator I think it's very very important to have a very open vision of your career and what you can and cannot do. Yes, you can do the commercial stuff, but if that's not working, that might not pay the bills, but there are other ways in which you can find opportunities for your niche stuff that you're creating. Okay. I think that that takes a certain level of maturity, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure everyone has because everyone is fixated on, I'm I'm a rocker, you know, I'm an indie rock artist that only do this, you know, yes, you can only do that, but you can also recreate yourself, you know. Find the opportunity. You're a creator. You can do anything. Now, if you're looking for a publisher, how would you approach one? 
So, I mean, I think it's do the research in terms mm-hmm. of what do you need as an artist. So there's so many different types of publishers that are available. So if I say I'm an independent you know, creator, I think I want to do everything myself. There are self-publishing platforms for you mm-hmm. if you need that level of control. Or I have got a lot of artists signed under me that are part of a record label. And I want to you know, make sure that all of that publishing is taken care of under my label. Mm-hmm. Possibly you might need a different level of service. And I think uh, labels like Sheer, and I'm not going to mention the other our competitors. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple of good independent publishers in this mm-hmm. country. So you'd sort of approach them and say, this is, this is the service that I'm looking for. And then also, I think the service becomes very important. Mm. So how good of a service does Sheer deliver to you as a client? What are you looking for? Are you looking for international exposure? Are you looking for collaborations? Are you looking for sync and licensing opportunities? Which of the publishers that are available to me would best fit my needs? As the creator, you're the prize. It's not the publisher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Publishers are fighting over you. So you make the decision in terms of, I think Shia has great licensing. I understand Tando. She understands what I'm doing in terms of my business. I'm looking for whatever it is that I'm looking for as a, as a creator. I think I'm going to go with Shia. Or I actually think I need to be on a multinational, multi-label thing. The other stuff is not as important because my work doesn't speak to necessarily a South African-only market. So, yeah, so I think to my point earlier around, you're the decision maker. Mm. So you need to know what your needs are, understand what your needs are, what are the opportunities available to you, and then make a decision based on that. All publishers are not created equal with all of our strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And then you share your profile, share your music, um, you know, hopefully have a meeting, you know, with me <laughs> and we can take it from there. Wonderful. So that segues really nicely into my next question. In order for a relationship to be symbiotic between yes. a composer and their publisher, what is each of their roles in that relationship? What do you want the songwriter to be bringing and what do you want the publisher to be doing for you? Yeah. So I think I'm going to use an example of some of the best relationships that we have, the best working relationships that we have is from a creator point of view, they inform us constantly and communicate with us constantly on Mm. the projects that they're working on. Even if it's just an FYI, I have an opportunity in Italy to do a soundtrack, FYI. You know, we will see something in there that we can assist you with. So I think the biggest thing from a creative point of view in terms of the responsibilities and making the relationship work is just communicating, Mm -hmm. Um, sharing that information, share the audio. I've signed the thing with a company here or this person wants to use my music there, communicate with us. And then our big responsibility uh, from a publisher point of view is to you need to hold us accountable on all of the stuff that you shared. So yes, you sent through your new project. Is it all licensed? Um, are we finding any problems? Because one of the things that we also do find is as we're sort of um, notifying your works, you might find that somebody else has notified it and the splits mm. are not what you said they were, you know. So it's for us to report back to you timelessly and regularly on where we're at with your work, what we're pitching for you 
which is something that a lot of our clients ask us to do from a licensing point of view, and then reporting back to you. So I think it's a symbiotic relationship, as you said. We're only as good as the information that we have. Mm -hmm. And the more information we have, the better we're able to service you as a client. I think it's also just understanding your business, you know. So some of our clients, for example, yes, you know, maybe they might not have a big footprint in South Africa just because of the style of music that they do. Mm. Um, And they're looking for opportunities internationally. We need to know that so that whenever there's an opportunity for a hip hop song in the US or, you know, wherever else, so-and-so mentioned to me that he's got some songs that he hasn't released that could work for that film. And I pitch that music. And uh, so, yeah, so to my, to my point earlier, it's, knowing you as a client mm. but you need to to share with us and which I, I think for some reason we're like the boogeyman in the music industry people <laughs> don't like to tell us things no literally people will, will just do work and just not tell their publisher you yeah. know and then they're surprised when they're not getting the revenue from you know particular projects that they did so there's an element of trust and transparency that needs to exist between publisher and client so that's, I think, probably the biggest challenge. Yeah. And I suppose you've just mentioned one of the perks of having a publisher mm. is that you guys are connected to a lot of people in a lot of spheres. Yeah. So you will hear when something is necessary yeah. somewhere that we wouldn't as indie artists. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a um, Slack channel with all of the briefs. I, it's literally my favorite thing to do when I have some time <laughs> just to go through the briefs and like all of the different opportunities that are available internationally for very niche types of sounds. It's also very big money you know so yeah so those types of things if I know actually we've got a client who's based in Leeds that can just jump in and do that Afrobeats song that you requested for your brand you know let's get in touch with them and they they can do something so again it's just about knowing your client and and knowing what they're working on or where they are in order for us to make those opportunities available to you okay so as we run up to the end Mm -hmm. One of the most valuable pieces of advice you think that indie artists and creators, whether they're going to sign with a publisher or not, need to know or need to do to keep making? So I think the piece of advice that I would give is for the mindset around being an artist and a creative to be around it being a business. Hmm. So you don't have these $100 million deals flying around because it's anything other than a business. So I think that's one of the things that I, I realize a lot of creators forget about. And that includes taking care of your numbers, basically know your numbers. So what are my splits? What is my streaming? Where is my music being used? You need to be as interested in that as your manager, as your publisher, as your lawyer. Don't leave it to third parties to take care of that for you. And I know it's not interesting, mm. But it's possibly the most important thing. Some of the best creators that we work with, and Neil is a great example of that. Neil knows his numbers. He knows every single platform, every piece of music, uh, where it's sitting. It's detailed and laborious. Mm. He also has a very high output rate. (laughs) But he's on top of every single piece of music that he's created over the last, you know, 20 years. So. It can't just be about the fun creative side. So there's the business element of the music industry, which whether you're an indie artist or signed to a label, you need to be just as passionate about. Mm. It's literally your money. It's your work. It's your copyright. It's your asset that you're building. It's your life's work. Yeah. You know, So you need to be as focused on that as you are about performing in front of um, you know, your fans. 
So that is the one thing I would say. And and I think maybe just to step back, professionalism is very important. Mm. I find that the most successful artists, even if they're not the most talented, are probably the most professional. They're just yeah. on top of their game. They show up when they need to show up. They do the paperwork when they need to do pa- paperwork. They respond when we ask them, you know, for licensing queries. You know, they, they're professional. They, mm. they operate and they see themselves as professionals. They're not just, you know, somebody who's doing it for fun. Yeah. So I think there's a huge amount of scope and opportunity for indie artists in particular at this time. I think that's probably the best place to be actually is for you to be in control of your career, but it does take a lot of work and you just need to have the right team around. You have a great publisher, have a great label, have a great marketing person, have a great talent development person, and you can make a lot of money in this industry, even as an independent artist. Amazing. (laughs) Slightly off topic, but not off topic at all. What were you listening to on the way over here? So I'm a serial Shazammer. Uh So whenever I watch anything, I'm always like, what is this? What is this? I was listening to a song by a Nigerian artist called Kiz Daniels called Odo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what I was listening to. Oh, wonderful. So I'm always like, when I'm in the car, like, what was I Shazamming? What was I watching? And I'll watch something. I was like, that's a nice piece of music. What is this? Yeah. So my playlist is just anything that I come into (laughs) contact with at a store and on a show, wherever, you know, with my Shazam playlist, actually. Oh, I I listen to more than anything. So nice. And how can people get in touch with you or share in order to either find out more or pitch their music or just see what's happening in the music publishing game? You can always go to our website, subscribe to our newsletter. Our newsletter is not just about our clients. We do a lot of informative content on there, exactly to my, uh, you know, what I was saying about that information gap that exists. So Mm. we've got people that subscribe to our newsletter in Kenya, Nigeria, all over the continent, just because they want to know what's going on. So we do do a lot of content on there that's just information. So if you go to our website, sharepublishing.com, there's a way in which you can subscribe to the newsletter. If you want to approach us in terms of sharing your music and maybe just request for information, it's info at share.co.za. And we get a lot of queries as well from that um, email box, which is literally like submissions, <laughs> basically. So we go through it, we sit and listen, you know, we give you feedback. Yeah, so that's the other way. And then my personal email is tandoem at shia.co.za. So if you want to reach out to me specifically about something, you can also email me. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming in. Absolute pleasure. I could talk about this all day. <laughs> we might need to have you back. Okay. If things come up or people send questions this way, maybe we'll talk again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And yeah, hopefully we'll connect again. Yeah, I look forward to that. Okay, cool. If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. So I stopped now starting my words are surprising and everything I say is a shock to you. Wish I knew sooner too. I knew how to say it Cause this gentle unfolding inside me's come out unfolded A map that you're trying to read in the wind You can't see me over the edges The paper is tearing, your patience is weary
hands like a steeple, the steeple jacks climbing, whole life in a body suspended in the air. No one to catch you, it's nobody's job to, and I'm on the ground. Nothing I can do, a shiny sooner to. This gentle unfolding inside me has come out unfolded. A map that you're trying to read in the wind. You can't see me over the edges. The paper is tearing, your patience is wearing. It's gonna hurt now for both you and I wanna say it's hurting me more than you But we both know We both know That's simply not true Gentle unfolding inside me's come out unfolded. 